Father, we thank you for the precious gift of Jesus. Lord, words don't seem to be adequate to describe the cost that you went to, to share your love, to give your life, that, Lord, we'd have freedom and peace in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to this Good Friday gathering. I don't know about you, but when I was particularly younger, I used to wonder why on earth they called such a sad day Good Friday. Has anybody had that thought? This is what they think has happened. In the early, early years of the church, shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, the early church gathered daily and weekly, and particularly on Fridays they would fast. And they called Friday Holy Friday. It was a special day where they would remember the death of Jesus. And so Friday became known as Holy Friday. And uh, this happened for some time, and around the 6th or 7th century, the term holy and good were pretty much synonymous. If you would say somebody is holy, you could also describe them as good. And so the words holy and good sort of got a little bit transposed. And around that time, rather than calling it Holy Friday and celebrating it on an annual basis, it was changed to Good Friday. And that's how they think the term Good Friday arrived. I guess we'll never know for sure, but there's something that you can possibly answer it with. I don't know about you, but what I want to encourage us to do is position ourselves back 2,000 years ago in the upper room where Jesus was holding the Last Supper, the Passover meal. Just imagine yourself there, we don't know about the events on the Sunday because we haven't seen them yet. And I want you to put yourself in that, that place where the disciples were. And I don't know about you, but I always enjoy it when somebody says to me, let's go out for a meal. And a Passover meal was a time of celebration, and that was their culture, that was the way it was. I know Wendy always enjoys it when I say, let's go out for dinner, she doesn't have to cook. And um, we have, I must tell you this too, church, you're... Don't laugh too much, please, but um, we have a celebration on Easter Sunday where we, we have a lamb roast and we enjoy that as a family. And one Sunday Easter, it wasn't too many Easter's ago, uh, dare I say, um, we were, Wendy and I were rushing around to get to church and, and Wendy said to me, can you put the lamb in the, in the oven? Uh, I said, sure, I'll do that. And so Wendy attends the, the Easter gathering on the Sunday and comes home with our children expecting to smell this wonderful aroma of lamb as she walks into the, into the house and her eyebrows rouse and there's no odor of lamb cooking at all. And of course, she said to me, didn't you turn it on? I said, well, you never said to. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it in the oven, <laughs> which to my defense is what I did. So, uh, as you can imagine, I get some ribbing for that. So, the Passover meal. Um, here's a, a picture from uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, this is how he thought Jesus' Last Supper was. Um, 
you know, the disciples, and of course Jesus sitting at a table. And, um, but probably this is not a very good representation of how it looked. It probably looked a little bit more like this. Where the disciples were gathered around, and there's not many restaurants in our city that are actually like this. There was a restaurant in Victoria Street a few years ago called the Sahara Tent. I don't know if any of you have been there. And at the back of the, the restaurant was a table that was low with cushions, and it's a mid, Middle Eastern style of how to eat and celebrate. And one of the things about this sort of table um, in a Middle Eastern setting, the emphasis is on reclining, laying back and enjoying the company of those that you're around and dining with one another. So it's certainly not a, a Victorian picture, it's the sense of reclining and sitting back. And the scripture's right, and I, I've put up two translations here. One is the New Living Translation, and the other is the NIV. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover there. And when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. In the NIV, and it's probably a better translation, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And here's this thought of Jesus reclining, sitting down. And the word recline is deliberately and subtly used. And it has this profound idea that to recline at a table is something only free men and women can do. There were many slaves in Jerusalem and around the Roman area at that time, as we heard from Pastor Simon last Sunday. And slaves were not allowed to recline at tables. It was only free men and women that could recline or even were invited to recline. And so that is why around the time of Jesus and, and slightly before the, Jew, the, the Jewish people not only called the Passover supper Passover, they called it the feast, the feast of freedom as they re, remembered and commemorated Moses leading the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And so strong was this thought of reclining and eating as a free person. And here's um, a quote from Alfred Kolick from the book, the, the Jewish book of Why. Even the poorest person in Israel must not eat on the first night of Passover unless he reclines. And so here's this whole thought that the disciples are eating as free men as they celebrate the Passover story. And if you can imagine, the disciples coming to Passover weren't thinking about Jesus taking bread and saying, this is my body, and here's this cup, this is my blood poured out for you. They were thinking about the story, the story long ago, when Moses led the people out of Egypt into the place of freedom. And so our story for Easter or Passover starts way back there, and I want to touch it briefly because I think it's important. Because telling stories, as you know, I've shared before, is all about building identity, building the family of God who we are so we can identify with the story and say, that's my story. We have the opportunity to reenact it, if you like, and to identify with here were the people of uh, Israel, the, the Hebrews that were in slavery in Egypt. 
and now they're on this pathway to freedom. And one of the things, as we look at the story, Moses encourages children to ask their parents questions about the story. And uh, he goes at quite, quite some length through the book of Exodus over three or four times to say, have your children ask you questions about the story of Passover, about the story of Easter, um, to pass on the story. Because freedom is the work of God and of people, and the story must be passed on from one generation to another. Why is the story so important? Because it builds identity. And any nation, the nation of Israel, needed an identity. Why does the church around the globe today celebrate the story of Jesus? Because that's our identity as believers. That's what marks us. That marks us as the people of God. Our belief in his death and his resurrection and as we participate of these symbols of the bread and the wine. Our memory is encoded in the stories that we tell. And um, my, my three-year-old grandson came up to me the other day, and uh, Wendy had purchased some Easter eggs and had them on the mantelpiece. And um, my grandson said, what are they for? And I said, they're for Easter. Uh, What's Easter? And I'm going, how do I explain this to a three-year-old? Uh, it's when Jesus died. Why did he die? And I'm thinking to myself, can you please stop asking so many difficult questions? <laughs> and the sense of story is what we've got to have and carry in our hearts that we can share with those around us. And so the story of Exodus, and I want to touch on it very briefly. Here is Moses. The, the um, Israelites are in, in Egypt and there's nine plagues that are impacting these people, serious plagues that affect the Egyptians. But not one of these plagues comes upon the Israelites, upon the Hebrews. There's the plagues of flies. You know, we know how annoying flies can be. They turn up, but there they are for the Egyptians, but they're not for the Israelites. Then there's the plague of water turning to blood, the Nile turning to blood. That happens to the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. And there's nine of these plagues. Um, that you can read about in Exodus chapter 7 to 12. But then there comes the final plague, the 10th plague. And it was God's judgment not only over the Egyptians, but over the Israelites, over all people in the land. And it didn't matter whether you're small or tall, young or old, wealthy or not, this plague was going to affect every person in the land of Egypt. And on that particular night, for, for God had said, the angel of death would pass over no matter who, no matter where, no matter what. Every life would be affected by this. And we can read about that in uh, Exodus 12. So why was God doing this? Why was God having an angel of death pass over every person and every family in Egypt? all these thousands of years ago? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? And here's the reason why. One simple concept, a word we don't hear a lot about, a word we don't like talking a lot about, sin. In Hebrews 9.22, it says this, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God was judging sin. And this wasn't a thing of only the Egyptians. This was a thing of the Israelites. It's a thing of all people. Sin, as we know, came in through the fall where Adam and Eve sinned. 
And sin is a lot more than our bad behavior. I like the analogy that sin is a bit like an archer firing at the, the target. When you miss the mark, that's what sin is. And of course, it's something that affects us all. And I guess what I so dislike about sin in my own life, it distorts my view of God. It distorts my view of others and it distorts my, the view I have of myself. We sin by doing wrong things and we sin by doing the things that we know we should do but don't do. And we live in a broken planet, broken environment, broken political systems, broken uh, families and relationships. And as we heard at the very opening scripture in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And here's the crazy thing I find about sin too. It so distorts that we think if I do enough good things, I can compensate for the bad things that I've done. Who's ever done that sort of thing before? I think we all have. Whole religions, some religions are built on that. If you do just enough good works, you'll get rid of the bad things that you've done. But here's it from God's view. God says that doesn't cut it. You can do all the good works you like, but if you've sinned once, the penalty for that sin is death. Death is God's consequence for sin. As Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Every good work cannot make up for wrongs against a holy God. Compared to his goodness, all our righteousness are but as filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64. And from the very beginning of mankind's, from Adam to now and to the end of the age, as it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the thing, God has a problem, and so does mankind have a problem. God is holy, and he's a spirit. He's never done anything wrong. Man has done everything wrong and is in need of a Savior, but no way can find a Savior for himself. And so in this story of Exodus, God says, I'm going to create a way of escape. And I love this. And here's the way of escape. He says to every family in Egypt, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb into your family, into your home for four days. I want you to get to know that lamb. And then when I say, I want you to kill that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. In Exodus 12, 7, they are to take some of the blood and smear on the sides and on the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And as the angel of death came over the land of Egypt, if it saw the blood, it would pass by and that family would be spared. If it didn't see the blood, that family would perish. The firstborn children in that family would, would perish. And so when the disciples are reclining at the table, they're expecting to hear Jesus tell this story. But he comes this time with a very, very different story. 
And in Exodus, we read, this is the day to remember each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate as a special festival to the Lord. And here's what's happening on Good Friday. Jesus is now becoming our Passover lamb. Rather than a lamb that's been slaughtered every year, Jesus is saying, I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to take the punishment for my sin and your sin. And I don't know about you, I, I absolutely get overwhelmed with that. I go, like Owen, I just get overwhelmed that Jesus would stand in the gap for me and for you and say, I'm going to take it for you. And this is the incredible thing about the grace of God. Jesus stands in the gap and says, I'm going to take all the brunt of the punishment that was due you. All the sin, all the shame, all the sickness is going to be laid on me so you can go free. Isn't that awesome? So you can go free. An incredible price. An incredible price. Jesus, our Passover lamb. And whenever we eat and drink, Jesus is saying, continue to tell the story. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are proclaiming that he is standing and has taken our sin, our sicknesses, every wrong thing that we've done, everything we should have done that we didn't do. Jesus has said, it's all laid on me. Why? So we can go free. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that absolutely amazing? We can go free. And Jesus has taken it all. Don't you love those words? It is finished. It is finished. Jesus has gone into heaven and said, the price has been paid in full for you and me to be free. The, I, I, as I reflect on this, I, I can't help but think about the time when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 11 years old. And I was walking down a driveway and a friend of mine said, you need to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection. He said a little bit more, but that's summarizing it up. And when he said that, I said, I know that's true. I know that's true. That's what I said in my heart. And I remember as I walked down this driveway and I said, Jesus, I turn from my sins and I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. This is without a word of a lie, I felt God's cleansing power flow through me. Isn't that awesome? We are free from our sins. It is so, so wonderful. And I want to say to you today, church, because of the price that Jesus has paid, we need to not only know that we are free, we need to live by faith in the freedom that Jesus has given us. We need to step into it and go, yes, Jesus, you paid the price. And there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has pushed away every guilt and every sin, both now and forevermore. His work is perfect. His work is complete. Every sin that's ever been committed is or ever will, Jesus' blood has completely 
washed away. Isn't that awesome? That is really awesome. That means you are a free man and woman if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You can walk out here today and go, thank you, Jesus, because of your death, the pain and the anguish that you went through that should have been on me, I am free because you took it. That is such a wonderful, wonderful gift. There is no greater gift than that gift of salvation that Jesus has given to you and to me. I remember years ago, as my mum was, was dying, and probably in her last few days of her life, the minister of the church we were attending came, and as a family, we shared communion together. It was a very special time. It was a very painful time, as you can imagine, for us as a family. And I'll never forget what happened to us as a family as we shared communion together. We took the bread as an emblem of Jesus' broken body and the blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And I, I can't tell you how ill my mum was. But when she took these emblems, she could barely swallow them. But almost instantly, her eyes lit up. She could breathe freely for about the next 45 minutes. And I thought, right before my eyes, I'm seeing the power of God lifting and giving life into my mother. I've never forgotten it. And when I look at where we are today with communion, we are free men and women, and that's what we're rejoicing in because of the cost that Jesus has paid. But here's something else in our freedom. We're not, and I wish I could say this, we are not free from suffering, are we? We still go through difficult things. We still go through challenging things. And I want to leave this with you today, which is an important part of the Easter message. It's how to deal with pain. And Jesus gives the best illustration of how to deal with it. And here is Jesus in Mark 15, verse 32. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul was crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. If you know the story, his free friends went to sleep. He came back again. Wake up, guys. I need your help. They fell asleep. And for the third time, he came back to them. He said, forget it. You're out to the count. Just stay asleep. But what Jesus is showing us, and I want to share with you three key points for dealing with suffering. Number one, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. It is so easily when we're under pressure and suffering is to isolate. Jesus brings along his three closest friends. And when you need the help of your three, uh, three closest friends, don't expect perfection. These guys fell asleep on the job. They were there to support Jesus in his most, uh, um, the saddest, difficult, most difficult time of his life. And they're asleep on the job. But Jesus says you've got to have friends in the toughest season of life. Don't isolate. Have your friends, those closest people around you. The second thing that Jesus did was pray. Father, is this possible? Take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. When we're in suffering, praying to God. And then the third key that Jesus gives us 
don't allow any bitterness to be in your heart. When he's on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I love this scripture from Colossians 1.13. We're going to finish very shortly as we gather around the Lord's table. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. There it is again. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for the blood of Jesus. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for you and me. It used to be a lamb. That was the story of Passover. For the story for the disciples from now on is that Jesus is our Passover lamb and he has freed us and he has forgiven us of our sins. Isn't that awesome? I just want to ask you right now where you are for 15 to 30 seconds to close your eyes. And this is just between you and the Lord, no one else. And just ask the Lord, Lord, is there some sin in my life? Is there some unforgiveness in my life? Show it to me now, Lord, that I need to let go. Maybe a family member, a work colleague. If the Lord is showing that to you, can I encourage you to forgive them and let it go? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we give you so much thanks and praise for the awesome God you are. That it should have been us dying on the cross. But you died in our place to set us free. Free from the consequence of our sin. Free from all the evil doing that we so deserved. Thank you that you took the price and bore the full brunt of the judgment of God. That in exchange, we might experience the fullness and the grace of the mercy of God. And Lord, we say thank you to you. We praise you. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.